everybody. Welcome back to this episode of Pep Talks. My name is Maritza. And my name is Shamina. Welcome, everybody. This is our spooky season episode. For sure. Today, before we jump into our topic, I'll let Shamina get into uh, where you can follow us in the social medias. But our topic is going to be talking about um, mental health and mental health stigma as it relates to this particular holiday, um, which if our calculations are correct, this episode will release on Halloween. Um, So we're going to be talking a lot about stigmas that pop up around this time of year, particularly and around um, any of these fall festivals, Halloween being um, the one that's on most people's calendar. Yes. So before we jump into the fun stuff, um, if you go to our website, www.pureempathyllc.com, you can book appointments with us if we are open to taking on new clients, Um, getting more information about the practice. uh, You can follow us on Facebook, Pure Empathy LLC, and also on Instagram. And our handle is pure.empathy.llc. And we post all different types of mental health updates, Uh, practice updates and podcast updates on our socials. Wow. I feel like you're remembering them all now, (laughs) all the different ones. And they each are are a little bit different. So if you're new to our podcast, I I typically kind of say at some point, um, just search Pure Empathy or Pure Empathy LLC and we'll pop up. You'll be able to find us in all of those places because each of those um, sites and forums kind of requires a different extension. So they're all slightly different, but um, hopefully if you're not already following along with us on one of those, uh, you'll come come along because we do have a lot of good content um, to hopefully put a lot of positive stuff in your feed. Um, but anyways, jumping in, yeah, let's talk about mental health around the time of Halloween. And I say Halloween because this is going to be released on that day, but um, I wouldn't include any kind of festivals. So people might have different names for the celebration based on their spiritual or cultural beliefs. So I'm just talking about the way the celebrations around this time of year tend to portray mental health. And I'm specifically talking about Halloween because I remember growing up celebrating Halloween. I loved it, of course, because I always went trick-or-treating every year. But also when I started to get older, I would get together with friends and we would watch scary movies as like, you know, a thing to do. Particularly with my best friend, we had a series of movies we kind of like always would watch in this ritual way, like, oh, it's time for us to do our our scary movie binge. Um, and so I kind of think of those things. People like to go see scary movies or watch them. And we've already really talked about mental health in the media and also how it's portrayed in like Hollywood and in the films um, as far as therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we touched on that. I forget which episode. Do you remember which episode we were talking about that? Our stigma, Maybe. mental health stigma. Okay. Too. Okay. I was going to say it might be the stigma. So in the stigma one, we talk about that. So if you haven't listened, um, please go back in and check that out because we really talk about how therapy gets portrayed in the movies and the inaccuracies that we we tend to see there. Um, but with that said, I mean, I want to ask, are you a scary movie person? No, because I always feel like the plot is really redundant and it's usually the same thing. Like I, I like more like thriller than, than scary. I could do like the psychological thriller, the psychological twist. Um, That's the therapist, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Either that, or I like, you know, like Halloween town or like Hocus Pocus. Those are like, you know, like the comfort, (laughs) comfort. Yes, yes, yes. 
<laughs> the ones that feel like classics, like especially I know for our, our age group, like Hocus Pocus now with Hocus Pocus 2 being out, it's it's becoming like a classic. It's a thing like we've all seen it and we all have like a, a place in our hearts for it. So of course they they did the second one. And um, did you get a chance to see it already? I did. I did. My okay. friends and I did like a whole Hocus Pocus viewing party and I liked oh, it. Love them. Yeah, I did too. I did too. And I won't do any spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it and maybe is waiting to see it. Um, but, I, but I enjoyed it too. I thought, I thought it was cute and it was good. Um, and it just reminded me of so much of watching the first one growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be a good hocus pocus for the next generation, if you will. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but Shamina, what are your thoughts? If you want to, if you feel cool starting out, like what are your thoughts about mental health around this time of year? Or maybe what are some of the stigmas that really jump out for you? I think just kind of reflecting that we don't realize how stigmatized mental health is actually around this time of year, because, you know, for the typical like scary movie or thriller, it usually has some type of psychological component. And I think that we're so desensitized to that as a society that it's hard for us to even pay attention to like, oh, wow, like this you know, the biggest thing that comes up for me, and it's not necessarily scary, but like the Jokers, you know, with all of Mm. the, like the Batman series and we have a new Joker every single time or what have you. And just how much I love watching those movies for like the psychological component. I'm like, oh, wow, this is so interesting. Um, But I, I think we're just so far removed from that, that we don't really recognize how much of a negative stigma is being portrayed about some of these disorders or diagnoses around these types of films. Absolutely. I love that you brought up like Batman and the Joker that definitely Batman hands down is my favorite. Um, and, and I didn't know this when I was younger, but as I got older, I really started to realize it's because there is a, a very clear psychological component with each of the characters. Um, mm-hmm. So as you watch the characters develop, you get to see a lot of their psychology, both with the Batman and the Joker. Um, but I know there's actually things out there about the psychology of Batman and his villains, right? Um, because each of them kind of represents different um, psychological archetypes, if you will. And I think initially, like as a kid, I was just already attracted to that, um, those ideas and those concepts. So I just fell in love with, with Batman and the Joker and their dynamics. But, um, but yeah, I, I like that because I I would agree that we're very desensitized to it. We're used to it and we're used to it coming in a package and we just typically don't think about it. So even if you're someone who's maybe considering the impact of mental health stigma other times of year, or just that's a topic that's important to you, you may not consider it when looking at some of these things because they are so commonplace and they've been going on for so long that these two just get married together and we don't stop to think like, wow, this is actually um, a, a really big misrepresentation of a very serious condition that people are suffering with. Um, and I always think of around Halloween, I think of Halloween, the, the Halloween movies. And this is one that my best friend and I, we used to watch. We used to watch that and also Children of the Corn, if anybody's familiar with those. Um, <laughs> Yeah, very psychological, both of them, if we're honest. Um, but we used to watch that. And obviously in Halloween, Michael Myers, uh, he's like in, a, in an institution, basically. And I also remember being a teenager and going to the haunted asylum that we had locally. 
and every year. And so basically it would take you through what looks like a mental health asylum. And of course it's the whole, everybody pops out and it's all scary. Um, but it's interesting thinking about that now doing this job and looking at this concept that mental health facilities are inherently scary or horrific in some way. And there is truth to that in history as well. So mm-hmm. if you remember back to like our early psych classes, you know, we learned about um, the, the darker side of psychology when we were really experimenting on people in ways that weren't very humane and they weren't regulated. Um, and I'm talking much, much older history, of course, but this kind of portrayed all the way through, um, even though these are things that we definitely do not do anymore um, as far as our research and our practice. So. But I think it, it still stays though, because, you know, how often do you have a client who may be experiencing suicidal thoughts or ideation and is terrified to tell you because they don't want to be Baker acted and go yep. to the hospital because that, you know, it's kind of this traumatic experience. I can't go in there. That's not okay. Those types of mm-hmm. things. So I think, you know, we've gotten with the ethics, definitely um, just the way that we treat people with mental health in general, that has significantly improved. But I think parts of those stigmas still stay, especially when you you talk about like institutionalized um, or like having to to um, do inpatient for an extended period of time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, and I like that you bring up the Baker Act. So this is something that any of our viewers that are not local for us probably might not recognize the term, but what we're talking about is an involuntary mental health hospitalization. So meaning your therapist or somebody else decides, nope, I have to have someone take you to the hospital and you need to stay so that you don't harm yourself. Um, these obviously don't happen super often. Um, and, and I, I haven't done them very often over the years, but I have have definitely um, done them. And the thing is, there there is some truth to the fear there that the mental health stigma is not wholly gone. And a lot of these facilities are mixed facilities, meaning they're not solely for mental health. They are usually hospitals in your local area. Um, so that's where a big majority of people go. Some people will go directly to a specialized mental health inpatient facility, but a lot of hospitals also have a mental health um, area or wing or department. There we go. I'm like, what do you call it? Um, Department where they receive those people coming in involuntarily. And so that's where a lot of people go. And and so it just kind of depends. It's going to depend on the people that are working there. It's going to depend on their policies, um, how up to date they are and how informed they are and how much they've done their own work around mental stigma as an individual, as far as what your experience may be like. So in some ways, I feel like the concern or the worry is merited because people with mental health still do receive a lot of discrimination um, when they're revealing that to people in the general public. My hope is always in a hospital setting that you're going to get, you know, good care. But but I unfortunately, once I finish that Baker Act, <laughs> I don't get to decide who's taking care of you um, beyond mm-hmm. that. So I have pretty little influence other than this what we're doing here, <laughs> trying to get everybody to listen and and hear what we're saying. That this is not a big bad scary thing. This is this is just like any other disease or any other illness that you need to treat and just be aware of um, that, that you're having so that you can live, you know, a happy and better life. But, but essentially, I think some of the fear is warranted in that there's still mental health stigma and that's, a, that's out there. And the other part is these, um, 
images that we have associated with mental health and with that process that it's going to be a certain kind of way. And that way is going to be a very scary, traumatic, unsettling experience. And the reality today is like mental health institutions look radically different than they do in, you know, the, their conceptions in the movies, how they're portrayed, as well as what we've actually had going on in our history. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, we have our own biases. And if I didn't know what I know as a therapist in the field, like immediately I hear the word institution and I think of like a straitjacket. I think of a padded, you know, like the padded rooms um, and, and just kind of, I, I picture like this, like really dark place and just like so much isolation and loneliness because that's how we see it portrayed, like in these types of movies, um, particularly, you know, with the, like the Halloween-y kinds of things of mm-hmm. like, oh, look at this person who's lived like this, such isolated life. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't see the other piece of it. And so, you know, I hear the word institution feels heavier for me than inpatient, you know, hospitalization. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, you're an inpatient, no problem. You know, and I hear institutionalized and immediately I'm like, oh wow, like what, what does that mean? That's exactly? serious. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's serious. That has, that has the flickering uh, light above your head. You know, it's yes. like flickering when you walk in the room and everything's a little run down and, you know, yes. you're, you're going to get tetanus off bumping a sharp edge kind of thing, like, like a very destitute picture. Um, And you're so right, because when I hear inpatient, um, we just think, oh, outpatient, inpatient, we hear these terms a lot of times referred to in the medical sense. Yeah. Um, And so I think since it's already been claimed, and it's been discerned there, and we have a general understanding of it, we feel more like that doesn't mean a whole lot. That just means either you're staying there, you don't stay there. And that just means you need more care or less care right? But when we translate it to mental health, it does start to mean something different for people. Um, And it starts to become more stigmatized rather than uh, outpatient and patient in in the medical health world. So I do think the institution though, in general, and like asylum, these terms are very, very like associated with like the Halloween scares of the world, um, of the mental health world, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is like a fun fact, but I was thinking about this. My graduate Mm -hmm. program, the building that we were in used to be like a mental health hospital. So Mm -hmm. they like converted it afterwards. And so like our professor's offices, they have like a, another section in their office, which was like the bathrooms for like patients and stuff. And, and when I was a graduate assistant, you know, we take like the back ways. So I'm like walking through like these, these like little hallways and stuff. And I was like, that's so cool. But there's like the, oh, it's haunted and, and kind of. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. But you have like these little like narrow corridors to navigate through almost like a maze. Yeah. 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 And, and I always remember like at some point in our history, we did, we were doing like full lobotomies. We were bloodletting. We were doing all these things like way back in the day, if you will. Um, And of course these things aren't happening anymore because we know that we've already researched to understand the value or the not value of those things. Um, But essentially now we have so much like you said in the ethics around the humanity even with even with the population that has severe and persistent mental illness um and what i mean by that is just basically what we might consider um more severe symptoms of mental illness um so diagnoses like schizophrenia 
disassociative identity, which used to be called multiple personalities. So you may know it by that. Antisocial personality disorder. Um, really, I'll say all the personality disorders, right? These that, that people consider more scary or severe, even sometimes in the mental health community. Um, and so I think maybe we wanted to talk a little bit, since I'm mentioning that, about the different settings of mental health and how we tend to treat different uh, diagnoses and, and symptoms and people in those different settings and how that makes a difference in what we might be seeing. You mean like agency versus private practice versus like hospitals? Like yeah, versus like the inpatient. Yeah, yeah. Because with us in private practice, we tend to, and this isn't always true, it's going to depend on how your practice is built and what you actually do as a therapist. But we tend to not see a lot of the um, diagnoses that would be, say, in the hospital, if you will. Yes. Now, again, I've absolutely done involuntary hospitalizations for clients who were experiencing severe mental health for a short and brief period of time, um, meaning they need to go into the hospital to get reestablished on medication or to be stabilized in some other way before they could continue with me for their own safety. Um, but I typically don't see clients myself that have diagnoses like schizophrenia. This isn't one that I've really worked with very much. And it's not one that I'm familiar with in practice. I'm more familiar with it in study, right? Because I never worked directly in a hospital setting. Now I have visited clients um, when I was working in the agencies that would go in for Baker Acts for involuntary hospitalizations. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a little frog in my throat. Um, <laughs> for Halloween, <laughs> I have a frog in my throat. But anyways, um, <laughs> I don't know why that cracked me up so much, but it did. Um, but anyways, so, so I would like for continuity, go into the hospital and continue to see my clients there. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily work. I've never worked in the hospital setting. And so I didn't see a lot of those diagnoses that are that would frequently be treated inpatient. And that's a completely different setting because a lot of people that work inpatient, they are working with people who have severe and persistent mental illness that needs what I tend to look at as like wraparound care. Meaning in private practice, when you see myself or Shamina or, or any other therapist in private practice, we are seeing you during your appointment time, and we don't utilize a lot of other resources other than to maybe let you know about what's available in the community. Mm -hmm. But we don't have like a case manager on staff with us who could help you if you needed help with your electric bill. Um, the agencies have that. We don't have a psychiatrist that we work directly with. Our clients who do get psychiatric treatment they all have a variety of different psychiatrists, either whoever accepts their insurance, one that they've found, or possibly one we've recommended, but we don't have one in-house that works with us. And so those are things that are different when you go to a hospital setting or to an agency, where if you do have something that needs more wraparound care, meaning you're gonna need more than simply your therapist to help guide you through this journey, then you have all of these other resources available to you kind of under one umbrella. And so because of that, people working in those settings tend to see different uh, clients and different diagnoses as well. Yes, and I can attest to that because when I was <laughs> a registered intern, so I was working on my licensure, I was in an agency setting and it was the only one 
um, really kind of provided in, in that area. And I think just because it was so accessible to a wide variety of people with like state funding. And so it was low income. You know, I saw, I worked with people who were diagnosed with schizophrenia. I did intakes on people who were like actively hallucinating. I can remember doing an intake with a client and, um, the, those are such different experiences that we typically don't see in like the private practice setting. Um, and it, it can be very overwhelming from like a therapeutic perspective of, you know, I've never worked with this population before, or I have somebody who is actively having some type of like hallucination or delusion in front of me. And how, how do I get them kind of back grounded into this reality and being able to move forward? So it's a very a different type of skill set than just kind of the traditional, I use air quotes with that, you know, like anxiety or depression or some type of, um, you know, life transition that you're going through. And mm-hmm. I can remember just feeling like very overwhelmed of I, I, what, what do you want me to do with this client? And there wasn't a lot of regulation of, oh, we can't take these diag- diagnoses or disorders. It was, you know, these, here are some skills and try and try and use these things. So it was very, um, chaotic, you know, maybe I'd see like a two-year-old at one hour and then my next hour would be somebody who's diagnosed with schizophrenia, who is an adult and just kind of all over the place with that. Yeah. Yeah. And in private practice, we really do get the opportunity to just start to specialize um, and say, I really like, or I feel um, my skills are better for this type of person, people with these symptoms or these diagnoses. And, and we share this not to like, I don't grade mental health in the same way. I don't grade trauma because that's so, it's so personal Two people with the exact same diagnosis. One could feel like they're suffering endlessly and one could feel like, no, I'm managing this fine. Um, and so that there's so much nuance there when you're even experiencing the same diagnosis across different people that we don't say like, oh, because it's anxiety or life transition, it's less important, not at all. But more what we're saying is like, be discerning. There's a time when you go by ambulance because you need to get straight to the ER. And there's a time when you schedule an appointment with your doctor. And really knowing what it is that you need is going to help you more quickly get to the right resource, right? So if you are someone who needs a lot of care, or you might even be someone who feels like you need multiple appointments per week, right? You want to really seek that out because there are people that offer that, especially when I look at diagnosis like borderline personality. Borderline personality is actually by research shown to do really well with multiple sessions per week. And a lot of therapists who specialize in DBT do that. Not all of them do though. Um, in DBT, I'm, I'm throwing a lot of terms out. So DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. It's an incredible um, model for, for all types of therapy, but it's really it does really well for people um, with borderline personality. They have good success with that most of the time. Um, but anyways, um, just really kind of looking and discerning for yourself how much um, stigma is there for you around this time of year? And when you look at some of the portrayals in movies, that having any kind of mental health, even like Shamina was saying, some anxiety or a life transition that's really a challenge for you causes your mind to go to an extreme case scenario of, you know, this is something to be feared. 
this mm-hmm. is something that is scary. This is something that leads down a road of, you know, b- becoming a, a Michael Myers character. Um, you know, and you may not even think that for yourself, but you might think it of others. You might find out you have a friend who has bipolar disorder and you might start wondering if they're dangerous, right? These are things that that we do when we don't quite understand mental health and we don't know those nuances and and not that i expect anybody to that's part of why we're doing this right we don't expect you to know this um because like we said we've studied this and so we're viewing it differently but we were regular people without this knowledge at one point and you know shamina shared and and i'll share like i remember kind of thinking in terms of asylum like if you're not sort of mental health normal then your mental health psychotic right then you are way off the reservation and way off the norms Um, And this kind of brings me back to what you and I were talking about before we hit record, which you were talking about the prevalence of um, the, the, oh my gosh, what are they? The shows about um, serial killer documentaries. There you go. Thank you. The serial killer documentaries and and other similar documentaries. Um, So I don't know if you want to touch on that now, but I think that's pretty relevant. We're definitely seeing like this increase in trend, you know, the, the Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer, um, docu-series just kind of came out more recently. We've had, um, Ted Bundy, Netflix did like a whole thing. They've done like multiple things on, on like Ted Bundy and and that Mm -hmm. type of stuff. And I think that that is really important because sometimes we'll, we can see a glorified portrayal, portrayal? is that a word portrayal portrayal Portrayal. yes (laughs) that's a word um but you know just kind of like a glorified magnified portrayal and you know what 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 actually happens in reality I think again like we hear like serial killer or we hear sociopath or psychopath and we automatically go to like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer Mm -hmm. and and that type of um severity and again I'm using like air quotes with that instead of being I, I've I've watched a couple of episodes of the Dahmer series and there's mm-hmm. one in particular where they kind of go back to his childhood and mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that because it shows the trauma that had occurred during that time it shows when some of the mental health had started during that time and just kind of like family dynamics so you get a, a more holistic picture of you know how how do some of these things occur like what happens how does trauma literally you know like reshape the brain and cause some of some of these behaviors later in life because mm-hmm. you know I've, I've worked with clients who may have um similar I say similar like it's a very loose term but but similar experiences you know with like very traumatic early childhood experiences mm-hmm. or growing up in a very different culture I think that's also huge too is that it, it you know you kind of um, migrate to the U.S. And, and your culture of origin is just very traumatic or you know that's just mm-hmm. what we did and, and how how do I accept that how can I move forward from that but it doesn't mean that they're crazy or they're going to turn into turn into a ser- serial killer because you know they mm-hmm. they used to do these things and so i think those terms you know the the sociopath piece or they just don't have any empathy they must be a serial killer type of mm-hmm. thing it's mm-hmm. just so common um wording i guess that we yeah again like get so destigmatized to it and we don't kind of look at well, what happened to the person, you know, kind of like the whole trauma-informed care, like, 
um, what happened to you instead of the what's wrong with you. And I still think we see, you know, like, well, what's wrong with you? Why, why do you hear things? Why do you see things? Why do you feel this way? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we look at some of these as inherently more dangerous than others. We, we yes. hear certain diagnoses and in our mind, um, you know, we think, oh, that that's dangerous or that could be dangerous. I, I go back to um, two movies. So one being A Beautiful Mind, where mm -hmm. they actually portray him as schizophrenic, but quite differently, like in a, in a much more, I'd say, positive light. Um, because you have this, if you haven't seen it, um, my apologies for the spoilers that are coming. <laughs> so pause, come back to it in a couple of minutes when I'm done ranting. But, um, <laughs> but anyways, it's an older movie. So hopefully everybody's either seen it or, you know, we'll go and watch it if you're interested. But you have this um, person who was John Nash. He was very highly intelligent, um, very intellectual. And so he sort of, in some ways, intellectualized himself into understanding that the people he was seeing were in fact hallucinations. And he was able to pinpoint that at a certain point in the movie. And from that point on, he basically lived with these hallucinations, but was not quite influenced by them in the way that he was before. And I liked that portrayal because I, I think in terms of just therapy in general, that's a lot of what I'm doing when someone has a mental health diagnosis, um, even something like ADHD or anxiety or clinical depression, because a lot of people may live with these lifelong. And so it's not about like resolving it or fixing it in a sense, because there's nothing really to be fixed. Um, there's medication management that often helps with symptoms, but therapeutically, it's really about learning how to live with this so that it is less of a negative influence in your life. Right. So how can you, if you have ADHD and you have a hard time completing tasks or staying focused, well, how can you be focused more of the time? How can you complete tasks more of the time? There's always going to be that chance that you're not doing it 100% um, because of that diagnostic pattern and the chemistry in the brain. But there is a way that you can live with it and feel functional and happy and fulfilled. Right. And that's really what we're working on. And I think in A Beautiful Mind, they really showed that uh, like his, his the, the hallucinations did not leave. They were all still there walking right alongside him through his life, but he wasn't giving them any credence. Like they would say something and he would ignore that and carry on before they would say something and it would influence his actual behaviors in the world. And so obviously that takes good intervention to be able to do that, yeah. um, you know, and, that, and that's where we say, like, just know where you're at and know what it is that you need or take a, a good look at what you need and try to, as much as you can, get rid of the stigmas that pop up for you. So if you notice something might be a stigma, try to catch that for yourself so that you can make a better decision about like, do I need a specialist for this? Do I've got, do I have old childhood trauma I need to resolve? I want to look for somebody for that or, or have I been struggling um, with these other symptoms and maybe I need more treatment or more care. And the other, um, the other one that comes up is the movie Psycho. So like way back in the day, um, I think most people have seen this or if you haven't seen it, you've probably heard of it. It basically, they say it made every woman in America afraid to take a shower right? Um, and I think there's truth to that. But that movie portrays mental health as well, like severe mental health. Um, and that playing out in, in a way where somebody becomes um, a, a very dangerous person, right? And this is a very, very old movie, but I remember seeing it, I don't even know 
when I saw it, but my, I would say my mom was a big Hitchcock fan. <laughs> so I remember seeing the birds and other movies. Um, also, I would say like Poltergeist, Rosemary's Baby, like some of these were movies that I grew up seeing, even though I myself would not say I'm a scary movie person either. Um, and, and I did, I watched the Halloween Children of the Corn with my friend, but truth be told, I go to comedies more often than anything else, like comedies, romantic comedies, simply because, especially now in my life, I say to myself, like, I'm good when I get off work. I want to, I want something light. I want something um, airy. I, I don't want it to be too in depth, but I'll also add, I do like some psychological thrillers. So some psychological thrillers I really do enjoy just because I simply love psychology. And so getting into that extreme case is for me, a fun thought experiment. But again, in practice, I work with drama. I do not work in an inpatient setting. And I really, I don't know that I would want to. I don't know that I wouldn't want to work with that population um, in real time. Like uh, similar to what Shamina was saying, I have done like assessments and things like that for people coming into services at the agencies. But typically my population was mostly trauma, um, anxiety, PTSD, depression, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, so I think we have a ton of portrayals that have been going on over the years and we still don't have any, I think, uh, that are more positive. I mean, A Beautiful Mind is one I can think of, but of course that's not associated with this season, right? That's not like a Halloween movie or anything. Um, and I'm sure there's still haunted asylums around and there's still, you know, that whole image of here's the psychopath coming to kill you, you know? Yeah. I, I think the a um, TV series that comes to mind is Dexter. I don't know if you've ever mm. seen it or not, but I haven't, um, but I've heard of it. I watched it in, in college and it's basically, you know, kind of about this again spoiler alert if you've never seen Dexter <laughs> pause um we gotta you know, we gotta do a trigger warning recording and a spoiler yes. alert warning at the beginning of every podcast so we can just yes. talk freely <laughs> um but he he like works for the police kind of analyzing forensics but then he's also a serial killer and kind of uses his resources at like the police department to kind of aid in this like urge that he has and and he'll his victims are um, like criminals. So, you know, he's, he's like a serial killer for bad. I'm again, mm. using air quotes, bad people kind of thing, but that, that TV show, it was, it ran for a very long time, but that had more of a positive connotation. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid when I watch this, it was like, wow, like, mm. look at this person, they're helping or they're doing good. And so it's, it's so interesting, yeah. like how, depending on the type of genre, of movie or tv show that mental health can get portrayed in more of a like a helping way you know we have this mm -hmm. person who is a serial killer but they're they're helping you know they're right committing crimes with criminals versus like halloween or um psycho or even yeah, like, like Bates, Bates motel you know that was mm -hmm. um i think that was like what the precursor to psycho or what have you with norman yeah. bates or something yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Psycho is at the Bates Motel. So in the movie, it's like the Bates Motel is where she goes and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, no, I know that's so true. I haven't seen it, but I've had a couple of people tell me about it that really were like, oh my gosh, you got to watch this. Um, and when you were talking, it kind of took me back to the Batman and Joker thing. So I remember, I'm not sure what it is, but there's the, the four different types. And I think that's unlawful good. 
if anybody's there's like for like superheroes there's the four categories like you've got lawful good unlawful good um I think like maybe lawful bad unlawful bad it's something like that it's like that four um tier model where you have the uh the competent side the incompetent side that kind of thing that we used to use in in psychology but it's that for like the superhero model so if i remember right i i believe um like is batman's character unlawful good maybe or lawful bad one of those i i forget how they are so my apologies for stumbling over this but i'm sure again you can probably google it and find it um but anyways there's this concept that like somebody is doing something like they're actually breaking the rules but for a good reason overall and then you've got the people that don't break the rules for good um kind of thing and so with De the dexter's character you have this person that is clearly breaking the law we cannot we cannot harm people like that but the result is to actually serve this this greater good purpose and so it has more like you said of a positive connotation because he's working for the good guys right mm -hmm. um but he's doing this in an unlawful way on the back end it sounds like he's helping them on the front end but on the back end what he's doing is is this unlawful thing that he's playing out but you kind of see like he's taking the the mental health symptoms that he's struggling with and trying to channel them in the best way possible um and i say that the best way possible i'm not sure murder is the best way possible so don't take that out of context especially listeners considering that i haven't seen the show i'm only going off what shamina told me so. <laughs> so you know this is not i'm not condoning that in any kind of way just as a general disclaimer um so please don't take that in that way but to say that in this unlawful good way like he's, he's breaking the law but he's trying to do channel it for good um, and, and all of the symptoms that he's dealing with, he's trying to channel them for good in any situation that he can. And so it's a bit more of a positive portrayal. It was a similar thing in, in Beautiful Mind. Of course, he's just uh, doing his mathematician thing, you know, so he doesn't have like a like a, a bad thing that he's doing. But basically, the voices did lead him to be like parentally negligent at one point in the movie and very dangerous um, for him to have like a child. So that was something where he had to really figure that out to overcome that and and have those symptoms while also being a parent, also being a husband, and also being a professor and a mathematician. Um, so you can imagine like wearing all those different hats and struggling with severe mental illness would be really challenging. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I'm trying. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I, I also kind of, as, as you were talking earlier, what came up for me is that, you know, we see these behaviors portrayed in these types of films. You know, a big one is like cruelty to animals. And, yeah. you know, that can be like a big precursor or again, like the auditory hallucinations or visual hallucinations, those types of things. And kind of going back to the stigma with the negative stigma that's on these types of films or movies of if you do those things you are bad you're going to turn into a serial killer you're going to become this horrible terrible person I think that significantly impacts our clients ability to show up authentically if that is part of their symptomology yep. and you know kind of communicating like hey I may have these thoughts I may not act on them but like I have these thoughts or I have these urges or you know the hallucinations piece um, that's mm -hmm. so much stigma around that. And so I'll actively like ask my clients, you know, I'm very like upfront of 
have you ever had any visual auditory hallucinations? And you and I have talked before of like with like complex trauma, we tend to kind Mm -hmm. of see that happen at times. And I I think it's a lot more normalized than we actually really know in the field, Mm -hmm. but it just kind of goes into this stigmatized category of like, that's severe. If you have a hallucination, that means like something, something is like off the Richter scale for you. Right. Right. And, and I see it with PTSD too. It does happen with people who have complex PTSD. They, they can have something that, that is seemingly like a hallucination. It's actually a little bit different because it's associated with the trauma and associated with the, the post-traumatic stress rather than something like schizophrenia. So it is a bit different, but to the average person, the way they would experience that is like, it's a hallucination and that can make people feel, here's the air quotes, crazy right? That am I crazy? Did this, you know, this happen? So am I crazy? And again, that's another thing is we, we really associate crazy with those severe mental illnesses. Um, but I always say like anybody can feel that way, right? It really is just a feeling of like disorientation. I, I have no ground. I don't know what's going on with me. This doesn't feel normal, natural, whatever. Um, but yeah, we, we have these stigmas that we carry around and, and these things that are perpetuated in our culture all the time. And, and I like what you brought up about culture too, because we'll go into this in a later podcast that we have plans for, and we are going to talk a bit about cultural differences, but to marry these two things together, people fearing kind of telling us stuff for whatever reason, because it's a severe mental health symptom, something we might consider more severe. And they're worried that we'll put them in the hospital involuntarily, or because it's coming from their culture. And they're not sure if that's accepted um, in in the session and how you might take that if you might try and diagnose something that is culturally normal for them. And these are things that we're really focused on and, and we try to, when we're showing up as therapists, again, just present that we are breaking down that stigma even in our own thoughts because you everybody needs a space to be able to be like that truthfully honest about what's going on with them because these kind of thoughts, like if you are having thoughts of harming yourself or harming someone else or animals, you need somebody to talk to about that because that's a sign to intervene, right? We can do interventions that actually prevent that from coming to fruition where we can help you get through that. And it can literally just be a symptom, right? That came up and you can get support. You can get help. Um, you, you can work on that for sure. And a lot of times too, I think about clients with obsessive compulsive disorder, where they often have these thoughts and typically they're the last person that would actually act on any of those thoughts. So mm-hmm. for, for anybody that was around when um, the OCD and the hoarder shows were on TV big time, there was one about OCD in particular and the therapist used cognitive behavioral therapy to work with these clients. Um, and one of the ladies I remember on the show had a fear that she would just sort of accidentally stab someone with a knife. She just was dreadfully fearful of it. She almost wouldn't have any knives in her house. Of course, that made cooking and things like that very hard. And so it was it was causing like major issue in her life. She could not kind of have a normal day because she can't prep food, because she can't have these knives. And they did an intervention. She actually like had the knife to the therapist's neck. She had her hold it there. For a certain amount of time to do the desensitization part and help her realize like you're not cutting anybody and i remember watching it being like wow 
like how intense is this intervention? <laughs> um, probably not gonna let you put a knife on me, so don't ask. Uh, <laughs> I'm brave, I'm a Gryffindor, but it's not all that. And, <laughs> but the point being is like a lot of times people can have these thoughts as intrusive thoughts and they are not congruent with self. And that can still feel incredibly scary when you're experiencing it, even though it's not something you would ever really follow through on in behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think those like the intrusive thoughts and just like that sense of urgency, especially during, you know, sometimes, uh, well, a lot of times with clients, like you may experience that in, in times of emotional distress or duress is, you know, you're having an intrusive thought of like harming yourself or somebody else or what have you. And then when you feel more grounded and the stressor has passed, you're like, wow, that was, I would never do that. Why did I think of those things? And I really normalize with my clients, like how often that that can happen because it, it is, you know, irrational. It is immediate. Like, what can I do to make this pain stop? Because I, I don't want to feel this way. Or, you know, with the OCD behaviors is that people really start to believe like, I'm crazy. There's something wrong with me. Like, why can't I just be normal? And it's, it's a symptom and we can, we can intervene. We can do cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, I myself also will not allow a knife to, to me, but you know, she's whatever. like, I'm not doing that intervention particularly, whatever. but we are here for you. Yes. <laughs> yes. In, in other ways, in other ways than, yeah. than that. Um, yeah. but you know, I, I think again, like that's the whole reason we really started this podcast was to be able to reduce like the stigma, having these open conversations, helping to normalize how common a lot of this stuff is. And hopefully, you know, allowing our viewers or listeners to be able to show up authentically to the people that support them, whether that's like therapists, family, friends, you know, what have you, because, nobody's perfect. Nobody doesn't have any type of mental health. I've never met anybody in my whole life who they're like, I've never felt any type of anxiety or depression or, yeah. you know, these things have happened. We all have our own story and we all have our own stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what I say is like, we all go through, so grief, right? Grief comes to us all. Everybody on this planet will lose someone they love at some point in their life. And that's technically a mental health process, right? Going through grief and, and dealing with um, those feelings. That may be something you choose to do as a therapist. Grief is not necessarily a diagnosis, right? In the same way that something like major depression or schizophrenia is a diagnosis. But it doesn't mean that it needs less attention. And the thing is, we want people to understand that even if you are someone who's suffering with severe mental health symptoms, we're not just sending you to the hospital. We're not sending you to some asylum. Um, that's not what we want for people. We want people to be treated well, but have mental health. And, and I would say most people in the mental health profession feel the same, right? There may be a few holdouts or something that are in the old disease models and, and, and things like that. But most of us are here because we do want to help. And we want you to be able to like live a life the way you want to live it even though you have these struggles or even though you maybe have these intrusive thoughts or these things that are real challenges for you. And the only way that we can actually do that in our role as a therapist is if we know what's going on. And the best way for us to know what's going on is to keep working on breaking down the stigma 
so that you all feel very comfortable to tell us that. And you know that we don't have judgments about that. We have discernment, right? We are, we are constantly discerning things like your background, you, what symptoms you presented to us, your culture, your beliefs, all of that. So we can get a whole picture of a person. So when you look at some of these um, classic movies, these, these slasher movies, these Halloween movies that have mental health components, remember that they're showing you parts, not whole, okay? No one is just parts. We are all the sum of our parts. And if there's anything I took away being a systems therapist, and what I mean by systems is working with marriage and family specifically, uh, those are systems within um, uh, people that they get created when you're apart and coupled up or when you're in a family. And one of the first things they said was one plus one equals three. And I remember being baffled, like all my math and algebra teachers are going to be really mad about this, right? They are going to be like, Rita, don't listen to that. Um, but what they meant is one person plus one person equals three, because you have one, one and the interaction between them right? And so we have to look at a whole picture of a person. If you're just telling me symptoms, that's only one aspect of you is the symptoms you're going through. Those things do not make you a serial killer, right? It is a whole package that, that's going on. But what you get, what you see and what gets sensationalized in media are the parts. Um, and it's hard to put those together unless, of course, you've had like education and training to do so. Right. Um, so just keep that in mind as you go about the season. And, and I hope everybody enjoys Halloween or, you know, whichever particular holiday you celebrate around this time. Um, and yeah, I guess overall, I just hope this was somewhat helpful. I feel like we went all over the page with stuff, um, movies and, and everything. But I know there's a lot tied to the thriller slasher sort of image that has to do with mental health. And we really just wanted to kind of talk about it and let people know. Um, we know that's out there and we hope you're able to parse those things apart, especially if you're someone who is suffering with mental health right now, so that those images and those parts aren't overwhelming for you. I agree. I have no other words. You took all of my words. <laughs> just like that's it. The end. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, stay, stay oh, tuned. Yeah. We're super excited for our episodes that are coming up the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of really cool content planned for all of you. So stay tuned for that. And we hope that you have a happy and safe holiday season. Exactly. Check all your candy and all that stuff. And I hope you get the full size candy bar. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye everybody. Bye.